Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I am your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys for another episode. And this week, I'm so excited to bring on Hannah Brincher, one of my favorite authors, honestly, just one of my favorite people. Her book, Come Matter Here, is honestly one of my favorite books that I have read, not just this year, but really ever. There are just a lot of things that have happened in her life that are very similar to what have happened in mine, and a lot of our experiences and our outlooks on life are very similar. We're both Enneagram 4, Wing 3s, if you're into the Enneagram, and so we talk a little bit about that, and I think that's why a lot of her writing has resonated with me. And we've been trying to get her onto the show for much of this year, but she actually had a baby girl earlier this spring. And so she's obviously been pretty busy with that, trying to manage being a mother during the coronavirus. And so excited to finally get Hannah on the show. I think you guys are going to love hearing her talk about writing, talking about faith, talking about building good habits and sustaining good rhythms and all sorts of other things in this conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with author Hannah Brencher. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by one of my favorite people, Hannah Brincher. Hannah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I guess first thing, uh, you're a new mother. What has this year been like for you welcoming a child into the world? I guess first <laughs> off, congratulations on becoming a new Thank mother. You. But what has this year been like welcoming a new child into the world during a pandemic and all the craziness that we've had going on in 2020? You know, it has been um, a wild year for sure. It, it honestly, motherhood has been so fun. I've loved it so much. Um, especially, yeah, it was definitely a crazy time to have a baby, like, especially because that was like the height of like, no one knew what was happening. And like, it just was a very anxious time to like have a baby. But I felt like once she was finally here, like, okay, like, I can do this thing. I can do anything, you know, and it's been really cool. Um, definitely a learning curve for both my husband Lane and I, but I think especially because she's a little girl, it has caused me to, I think it's brought me to like a deeper place in my writing. And it's also just made me kind of look at and examine the things that I tell myself and the things that I believe about myself, knowing that she's going to be like following in those footsteps. So it's, it's definitely been a lot of like learning. Yeah. I've heard from some people who have had babies this year that their spouses weren't able to be in the room with them. What was yours like? Was it, was it pretty stripped down from like what it normally would be or was Lane able to be there with you? Yeah. So I'm lucky that I didn't have anything to like really compare it to, but thank God Lane was able to be there. We actually like scheduled an induction on her due date because we, the doctors really said like the week before, like, you know, we don't know that in a week from now, we're going to be having a completely different conversation about this. And I was like, okay, well, I kind of need him there. I've never given birth before. Um, So I, I really feel for the people that like, were not able to have their spouses in the room with them. Um, I feel like it, maybe it was a stripped down version, but I I don't know specifically just because I'd never done it before. One of the things that I actually thought was maybe a sweet spot of having her in the midst of this time was that we were not allowed to have any kind of visitors in the hospital. So it was just us. And I thought that that was a really cool experience to get used to us being like a family of three. And like, it just kind of was nice to be able to like rest and not worry about visitors and know that we would get to see people after, but like, it was just like us in the hospital and it felt really safe and protected especially at a time where I felt like we didn't really know anything about COVID. And so it it was a very scary thing. I felt very safe right where I was. Yeah. So this show is called In No Hurry. It's the idea was like, you you know, finding space to not be in such a hurry and relax and chill out and that kind of thing, or just kind of whenever life gets crazy, slowing back and peeling, peeling back from the craziness. You do a lot of writing, you put out a kind of a ton of content what have you found has been the balance between, uh, you know, n- you know, in- introducing a new child into your life, but also still wanting to do the writing that you do and not saying you've perfected it yet by any means, but what have you found to be the rhythm that kind of makes it to where your life is a little bit more balanced? I mean, I think that what really prepared me for being able to have both her and like this career was years of building discipline and habits and routines and rhythms and like, 
I would tell anybody that if they feel like they don't have any kind of daily discipline to like start building that, you know, start by like reading a book like Atomic Habits and build better, healthier habits into your day. Um, So for me, you know, it's constantly readjusting and figuring out how to juggle all of it. Um, But I will say like having those blocks of time where you know what work you're doing and like you're getting rid of all sorts of distractions. So like social media doesn't come into that time. Email doesn't come into that time. Like I make sure that I have that time multiple times a week so that I can be producing content. Because for me, I feel like if I can produce content, then the sharing it on social media and through email and all that, that's the easy part. The marketing is like, you don't need to be like creative to be able to like build the marketing. It's more so you need those those times where you have that uninterrupted creative time to actually build something worth reading. So I batch that workout. I have those selective hours and I'm like, I know that if I can like feed my readers with good words, that's the most important thing that I can be creating. So constantly figuring it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things that you talked about in your online writing course, uh, little plug here, something that I went through last year and it was awesome. I mean, for me that, that was truly one of the things that, that helped start the actual writing process of my book. I'd been working on the, the proposal part of it for a year or so before that. And that was like the, the, that little, little motivation helped me get several chapters written. And like the idea of putting like all of the um, sticky notes on a board, kind of map out your chapters and that kind of thing. Yeah. Like that, I still have that up actually in my, in my writing room upstairs. And so um, like that was super big for me because it helped create a lot of discipline and not, I'm not perfecting it by any means yet, but that was one of the things that you talk about is that discipline for writing. And I think that's true for any creative endeavor that you go through, but as you've kind of, you know, gone on through your writing career, how much have you found that that discipline truly is like one of the most important things that you can have to be able to be successful as a writer? Oh, I think it's everything. And I think it's so funny because as creatives, like we're often not expected to have discipline. Like it's almost like, oh no, I just go where inspiration leads me. And I had to kind of scrap that way of thinking a few years ago and really figure out how to hack my process. So I'm definitely somebody who like believes like writing is deeply creative and like there are definitely going to be times where like, you know, like inspiration takes over and like you're writing in a flurry. But I think that I've gotten to this point now where I really think that writer's block is a myth and that um, it's actually just resistance that we need to push through. Um, And that if my hours are very like slim in a day because I have other things that have to be done, people that need to be tended to, then I need to be able to like get the marrow out of the hours that I do have. And a lot of times I feel like that is going in with a plan. And if you're writing like multiple times a week, especially if you're doing it like at the same times per week, like your brain is going to kick in and know to get into that creative mode. And I'm not saying everything that you write is going to be like the most, most earth shattering thing that you like fall in love with it. Cause there are definitely days that I'm like, I don't like anything that I produced, but it's that consistent showing up. And I think that years ago, I did not have that level of discipline. I used to be somebody who was like, I will only sit down to write when I get that first sentence or when I feel inspired or when all the ideas come to me. And I think now, like I missed out on so much writing time, especially as a single person that I should have just been learning to hack this process earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard uh, John Acuff say that he he doesn't believe that, that, uh, writer's block is anything either. He said it's more of an idea block and that what you have is an idea block that Mm. you're not, you're not, you're struggling to come up with the ideas. And for me, that's kind of where I've struggled a little bit is like, I know that I have the itch to write. And it's like, I just feel so, I don't know if I put pressure on myself because I want to create, like you're talking about such great words and just rather than just getting words on the, on the page. Cause I've heard plenty of writers say that, uh, where it's just like, just get the, the words on the page. Like I'm listening to Bob Goff's uh, dream big book right now. And he mm-hmm. talked about the same thing where he's like, just write the words, even if they're terrible. Uh, Cause I think he has a chapter called a thousand words a day. Like he tries to write a thousand words a day, even if they're yep. just 
terrible words, words, getting them out there. And I think for me, like I've tried that and that has been a huge help, but for some people that maybe either struggle with procrastination, they struggle with being able to sit down and write it unless they feel inspired or feel the muse. What is kind of, I guess, for those people that really struggle with that, what would be your advice? Cause I think procrastination and then finding other things to do to distract ourselves, I think is one of the biggest things that prevent creative people from finishing what they want to finish. That's where I would definitely say you kind of just have to push past that resistance. And I feel like even if it is, yeah, sitting down and writing a bunch of words that just like aren't your best words, but you did it, you sat down and you did it. And the way that I think about it is that like writing feels like it's one of the only like, like creative ventures, hobbies, whatever you want to call it. That like you can say like you want to be a writer, but yet you never sit down to write. You can't say that in any other field. You can't say I want to be an Olympic swimmer and never get in the pool. It doesn't work that way. And so I would challenge people with that kind of thinking. It's like if you want to be a writer, you got to sit down as much as you can and write. And that's one, so that you get skilled at the craft and two, so that you figure out and hone your voice. And so that would be what I would tell people is like, you got to sit down every single day. If you can, even if that's only 15 minutes, give that 15 minutes to this craft so that you can grow and evolve in it. Because if you're only writing once a month, like that is definitely not enough time to actually like, like hone that craft. And so yeah, even if you don't have a lot of time, like you, you have 15 minutes, we all have 15 minutes. Yeah. And, and one of your, one of my favorite parts of come matter here, and I won't read all of the words cause it's kind of a long section, but when you talk about fear and you kind of write this autobiography to fear um, that resonated with me so much. Cause one of my chapters that I wrote in my book is about fear. And I think for us, like fear, we, we just tend to believe a lot of the lies that fear tells us. And I think as writers, we believe a lot of lies that fear will tell us. And that could be that our writing yeah. isn't good enough, that nobody's going to read it, that the words won't matter, uh, which obviously your book is about <laughs> feeling like we all should matter. And one of your emails recently was about like how we go through this process where we feel like we don't matter. But, yeah. um, you know, I guess for writers who struggle with different levels of fear or really anybody that struggles with fear. I mean, that was one of the things that I think resonated with me the most of your book. Um, you know, what are, what are the truths that you have held strongest to in the times where you have felt fear the strongest, whether that was in your writing or um, just in your life in general? Whew, that's a great question. I feel like, well, especially when it comes to that idea of fear, especially if like you write on like a semi-consistent basis and like you're writing something that kind of fills you with a little bit more like anxiety or worry or nerves about like does this matter like is anybody going to read this you know I feel like the times where I'm feeling more resistance means that it matters the most and Hmm. I would tell people you know because I think that like we live in this culture now where like people are obsessed with followers and numbers and like, what does it look like? Like how many quote unquote followers or readers do I need to be successful? And I look back on like when I first started my blog and like the first time I ever had a reader that like, wasn't my mom or like my best friend or like somebody I knew from my college, you know? And like, I, I remember just being so shocked. His name was Stephen Coe. I still remember, (laughs) um, And he lived across the pond in the UK. And I just remember like having like this huge like celebration of like, oh my gosh, somebody that I don't know is reading my blog and is getting something from it. And so I would tell people like rejoice in that, like love those small beginnings right there. Like don't pressure yourself to have a email list of 30,000 people build one by one while you can. Cause it's like, now I've definitely gotten to the point where it's it's not as easy for me to go one by one. Like I wish I missed those days because like it was so great to be able to connect with people and like show up at people's baby showers <laughs> randomly and like, you know, um, but I feel like it's that never taking a single person that's like reading your words for granted because that's what fear wants to keep from you. It's like putting anything out there because you're afraid it's not going to make an impact. And it's like, if it changes one person's life, like that's literally amazing. That's earth shattering that like somebody's life could be changed through your words. Like what a privilege that is. And so 
I would tell you to push past the fear because like, that's what's on the other side of it is that somebody's life is going to be changed or impacted or made better because of what you've written. Yeah. You have a chapter in the writing intensive called celebrate the one. And you've even written that in your email before. And that resonated a lot with me because I think um, comparison and contentment have been uh, the, the topics that I have written the most about this year, because that's, mm-hmm. that's honestly, that's where I've been living. And honestly, uh, my last podcast episode was just me kind of talking about that issue for about 15 minutes about the, the struggles that I've had with identity and comparison with my own creative endeavors. And I think for creative people, it gets really, really easy, especially for people like me who are aspiring to write a book. You see other people that have the success at writing a book and you're like, how, yeah. how do I get to that point? And like, for me, the two agents that I've talked to, their their response was, your platform isn't big enough. And it's like, okay, that, that's hard to hear because it's like, you want to believe that your writing is good enough, but then it's like, now I have to play the game of building up the platform. And like yeah. for us, like as writers, like it's hard to balance like wanting to do that, but also just focus on the writing. And so there is the game that you have to play a little bit to kind of have the platform, which you talk about in your writing intensive. Another plug, if you're have if you a writer, by the way, and you're listening to this, <laughs> sign up for her next writing intensive yes. next summer. Um, but Seriously, like that, that, that's a really big thing that, that writers can struggle with because wh- whether like somebody could come out with a book that you think is similar to the one that you're writing and you're kind of like, dang it, that idea is already taken now. Uh, or like somebody writes a blog post and you're like, man, I was going to write about the same thing. How do I write that now? Somebody else has those ideas. What is your advice? About the same thing. Um, what, what is your advice for those authors who, uh, like I actually have on my notes here, celebrate the one, because that was one thing that, that resonated mm-hmm. with me. What, what is your advice though for, besides just celebrating the one, like people that, that do struggle with comparison badly um, or have in the past, whatever, what is your advice for them to kind of fight past that and just focus on their own walk? I, I think that's the answer right there. What you just said is like, you have to focus on your own race. Like that's yeah. it right there. And it's hard, but it's like, it's a continual reminder to keep putting the blinders on and like, you know, like the way that they put the blinders on the horses so that the horses aren't looking to the left and the right of them in the midst of the race, because it will slow you down. That's the only thing that's going to slow you down is if you're looking to the right and the left of you, like, and so every single day, like I have to make a conscious choice to like wake up and focus on what's here on my plate, not what's on somebody else's plate, not what somebody else is doing. And practically, I mean, that looks like taking my phone and putting it in a box. I put my phone in a box anytime I'm doing anything creative because I can so easily get distracted. I can so easily start to see what other people are doing. And like the second you get on social media, it, I would just say that social media, a lot of times, if I'm speaking from my own experience, like it deteriorates my mood. I can't say that I ever get on social media and I leave like super inspired. That's true. Unless I'm on like Pinterest, you know? Yeah. And so I would say like, why the heck would I bring that into my writing room then, you know? And so every single day getting in to do the work without the distractions. I'm not sure if it's in the writing intensive or in another one of my classes that I talk about, like, um, like taping off the crime scene. Uh, That's in the writing intensive. Yep. It is. Okay. Yep. I'm a big true crime junkie. Um, I never met like a murder mystery show that I didn't like devour. (laughs) Um, and so one of the first things obviously that they do when there is a like a, a body is found or their crime is committed is that they come in with the yellow tape and they tape it off. And I started Googling that one day because I was fascinated by all things true crime. And there was one line that I like grabbed onto that it was like they put the yellow tape around the crime scene to preserve the integrity of the crime scene so that nothing comes in and nothing goes out. And I mean, that just shook me to my core because I'm like, oh my gosh, why do we as writers not do this in our own lives? Like we need to preserve the integrity of what we are creating. We need to not let things come into this space that is just going to mess with what we're doing. And so that's, that would be what I would tell people. And that the best thing that you can do is fall in love with the creation process. If it's two readers, if it's 10 readers, it's 10,000 readers, you know, like this past year, like in the midst of this pandemic and stuff, I 
just really felt like a call towards like back towards my blog more. Like I've been blogging for 10 years, but I just felt like I want to write so much more in this space. I want to revive this space a little bit. And I've been so intentional with that. And it has been so much fun for me. Like it has just like lit me up and it doesn't mean that every post gets a bunch of comments. It's more so like I've been in love with the creation process of creating content and then like creating how that sits on the internet because platform building can seem really daunting. And I don't even like those words of like platforms and like followers, like, and all of that just feels, it can feel really icky when you're like, I just want my writing to be good. Um, But I, I've really tried to take like, um, like a hospitality approach to like the people that are following me and reading my words and showing up to my blog. It's like, how can I serve? And so if you look at your platform as a way to serve, like that will end up fueling you rather than draining you. And so I just think every single day, how can I serve people? Okay. Today on Instagram, I'm going to, you know, give away some coffees to people, or I'm going to do this over here, or I'm going to create a freebie on my website. And that's always my goal is to serve people and equip people and make people better. And I've, I've heard dozens of times from people being like, you could charge so much more for this class or that class. And I'm like, it's not about that at the end of the day. I don't want to be one of those people on the internet. That's like, let me give you the three secrets, but actually you have to pay (laughs) $1,900 to have the third secret. You know, it's like, No, like I want to equip people to be able to do exactly what I'm doing because I'm making my dreams happen every single day. And a few years ago, like I was just a person that signed up for a WordPress blog. And so I know it's possible. Why wouldn't I just give those secrets to everybody else? I'm a believer that like there is more than enough room at the table for all that we are bringing, you know, like you've never gone to a dinner party and like, thought to yourself, oh my gosh, like there's way too much food here. Like this is a disaster, you know? So it's like, why don't we fill the whole entire table with everything we have to offer and invite people in? I love that. I love that image. That's a good way to put it. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're an Enneagram four, right? Oh, I am. I wish I wasn't. You and me, you and me both. And I think your husband, the worst. your husband is a two, right? He's a two. My wife is a two. struggle with comparison. Yes, very much so. Jealousy. And the twos are like, the twos keep the world together. Like I, I can't even like your wife is a two. I'm sure she's just like my husband where it's like, let me serve you at every direction. And I'm like, she definitely keeps me together about why I feel like I'm not significant. (laughs) That's so true. It's funny because she and I have talked uh, about like how, like she and I, you know, kind of the opposite. We're like on the, you know, the husband of four, you're the wife of four. And then he's the husband of two and she's the wife of two. So it's kind of the opposite. It's just interesting. Cause she's a, she's a mental health counselor. And so she's like geared to like comfort people. And so it's like, whenever I'm really struggling with comparison, I'm just like, why is this happening? And then she's just like, but your stuff is so good. Like trying to uplift me. And it's just like, it's, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting uh, dynamic. But one thing that I noticed for myself as a four this year during COVID was that I felt really, I don't want to say inspired, but I think the, like when the, when the world kind of shut down a little bit, not that I ever wish for this to happen again, but it, it was kind of this freedom. I felt when there were no distractions, there was like, I'm a huge sports fan. Uh, there mm-hmm. was no baseball to watch. There was no NCAA basketball tournament to watch. Uh, baseball did come back. I'm the, I'm a Cardinals fan. Our season is over. So I, I don't have to worry about that anymore, but okay, um, we're braves over yeah. here. It's never ending. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Hmm. You know, I, I found myself kind of at the beginning of COVID not really having many distractions. And I felt so free to be able to create and write. And I don't know, did you, did you feel that same thing? Cause you talked about how you kind of felt a draw back to your blog where you were creating more. Did you feel that sort of, um, I don't know, I don't, I don't I guess freedom would be the right word there where you could create a little bit more. You know, I still feel it. Like I know we're in this like perpetual COVID world, but yeah. like, I definitely feel like what I have, like, if we're looking at like what COVID has like changed about us, like I kind of love that there's like way looser expectations on people, you know, like in the sense of like the, the wind, like the wing three in me, is like, go, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. (laughs) And I think I kind of have enjoyed this, like 
it's okay to be slower. Like it's okay to like chill out for a second, you know? Um, I can't. So at the beginning of COVID though, when everything was shutting down, like that was when I was like real pregnant and I was just like, get me out of this space. (laughs) Um, So I can't say that I experienced that, but I was, I was envious of everybody else around me that felt like (laughs) they were getting into their like creative quarantine zone. And I was like, if I wasn't pregnant right now, you know, (laughs) but it's interesting because I didn't, um, I actually didn't take a maternity leave. Um, so I planned to, even though you work for yourself, you kind of just make your own maternity leave. And I had like a meeting with my therapist, like, um, like right after I had Novali and she just was like, you know, you don't like have to take a maternity leave. Like, you know, that like, you can just get right back into it. If that's what's going to make you feel like more like yourself again, because for me, pregnancy for nine months, I did not feel like myself. Like, and I, wanted so badly to get back to that creative side. And so I just kind of started doing things every single day that were going to make me feel like I was like coming back to myself creatively. And like this space like really allowed me to do that, you know, because it wasn't like we could take her anywhere. We were here and we had to stay in the house. And so during her nap times and like during different times, because when, when babies are first born, they just sleep. That's all they do is sleep, sleep. Um, And I felt like I was able to really just kind of like come back to myself in a lot of creative ways, which was yeah. really good. That yeah. may not have answered your no, question. No, that's perfect. Like yeah. that was like 14 answers. In one. <laughs> you mentioned you're a wing three. I'm also a wing three, which I think oh. is why so much of your writing resonates with me. Cause it's like, it's like, you're saying everything that I'm feeling. And so one of the things, I mean, the whole book come matter here is about feeling like we do matter here when we want to go over here or over mm-hmm. there or being anywhere where, than where we are right now, why do we yeah. struggle so much with that? And I think you, you, we talked about how comparison, jealousy are huge things for fours, but why is that such a thing where we, we, we're not content with where we're at. We see everybody else and we want to be where they're at. And one of the things that I have said is that the people who we feel like we want to be also want to be somebody else. So like the oh, people yeah. that we're comparing each other to, they comparing themselves too. So nobody's perfect. And we just have a hard time remembering that. Well, and I think kind of the great thing about fours is that we are feelers. So it's like, I think everyone struggles with like jealousy, comparison, envy at some point. Um, We may feel more of it, but because we're such feelers, we need to talk about it all the time. And I think that's that I think fours are great writers for that reason is that we've learned to articulate our feelings and sort through our feelings. And if, if I encounter a roadblock in my own life, I, I mean, I've got to analyze that thing to death and like figure it out, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it, I think comparison is especially it's rampant. And I know that because I, every, every number of the Enneagram has read come matter here and it has resonated with them. Right. And I, I think it will be like my lifelong journey to figure out how to be here in a getting there world. I think all of us feel that because of how lightning speed this world is that we live in. Like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, social media was not a thing. 10 years ago, it was a thing, but it was like Facebook, you know, like that's all we had and yeah. like instant messenger and stuff. MySpace. MySpace, exactly. <laughs> but like, it wasn't like you knew like even then it was for your friends. It was for the people at your college. It wasn't so that you could look at the life of somebody who lives in Europe and like try to add up to that, you know? And so instead of like, you know, being a new mom on the block with a few of my mom friends, it's like, I might have to compare myself to millions of moms on the internet. That was not a thing. And so I think that that is what has caused us to have crazy anxiety, to have more depression. I think that we're constantly seeing people that are either five steps ahead of us or like five steps behind us, which neither vantage point is good because you're either feeling like you're not enough or that you're superior, you know? And so I think it's a constant quest to like figure out how to make this moment enough. And I, I can't stress enough that I think the only way that we do it is by like, putting down this lens into everybody else's lives. Like unless you can change the posture of your heart when you're on social media to like be able to celebrate people rather than compare yourself to people. But like 
if that's something that you're not very good at, then I would put up the boundaries to limit how much time you're actually spending looking at the lives of other people. That's what I was going to ask. Do you have any like set times that you're on or off of social media? Yeah. So I have um, screen time that will block me out of Instagram after a certain time. That's what my wife has on her phone too. Yeah. Yep. And Lane knows the passcode to it. So I don't know the passcode. So when I'm locked out, I'm locked out because I set my own passcode and then I bypass the passcode. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm pretty like, I'm still always improving in this area, but I, I definitely have to have boundaries around how much I'm consuming, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So to, to continue with how similar I feel like my wife and I are to you and Lane, not only is the Enneagram stuff there, we also met on a dating app. And so there's a lot of Tinder, not real proud to say that, but no, I'm proud of that. (laughs) You should own it. You're right. You're right. We should own that. So, well, I guess, yeah, I should own it because the question I'm going to ask you is all about dispelling the myths of online dating. Like, for instance, my initial reaction there was to kind of be hesitant to say we met on Tinder. There really shouldn't be any, there's no hesitation there because we both went into it with the right, uh, the right intentions. You know, some people go into it with the wrong intentions, Mm -hmm. but we both went into it kind of both similarly. We're out of a relationship around the same time. And then just were like, you know what, we kind of want to meet people and then find each other. To me, it's no different than if you were to meet somebody at a bar or a restaurant or something like that. And so you've read, you've written quite a bit about this because you met Lane on Hinge, correct? Is it Hinge? Mm-hmm. And yep. so, and you, I think you even wrote about it in your book. So whenever you, when people maybe come to you and they're ashamed to try an online dating site, or they're ashamed that they met their spouse or their significant other on a dating site, how do you respond to them? Because I feel like I, I've learned to just say like, look, it's completely normal. This is how people in our generation meet. It's no different than meeting out in some other ways. It's just like for people that maybe are a little bit more comfortable behind a screen, that's kind of where they find their comfort level. So I guess, what is your, yeah, what do you say to people that maybe uh, would try to shame people for meeting online? You're going to shame me? I'm going to kick you out. Um, (laughs) No, I, I still, you know, I don't, I don't understand it. I don't know why there's shame around it. Like, I don't get it. Like, so actually though, I remember, what was it? 10 years ago, 10 years ago is a long time. Um, I was just graduating from college and I had a blog and it's the same blog, but I I wrote very differently at that point in my life because I just, I remember writing this one article about how um, I wasn't going to meet somebody online and that I was going to meet them in like aisle seven of the grocery store. Like, I don't want an online love story. I want to meet them at like the country square. I don't know. Um, And I wrote this like on my little pedestal that I was on. And I remember somebody commenting and saying, my husband and I met on match.com and like our love story isn't any less because we met online. And that really kind of put me in my place of like, oh my gosh, you're right. Like I am like alienating a group of people that like met their spouses online. And back then it was like match.com and eHarmony and like only were super serious. Did you meet somebody online? Cause you had to pay for those. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like I like that was 10 years ago and we still have this weird stigma. Like it's not okay to meet somebody online. And I just like, I say it proudly. I tell everyone because I'm like, I want to give you hope. Like it's something that's right here that you can access. Now you have to be very careful with that because I think the, maybe the darker side of the dating apps is that like you have so many options at your disposal but those options are actually people so that's like cryptic black mirror type stuff um and so you have to go in with the right intentions like you said but I don't like in the world that we live in today there are less and less opportunities that we're actually going to meet each other off the screen you know like even when you're going to the grocery store like most of the time you're like plugged in doing something else. Like we're distracted from one another. And like, especially in a COVID world, it's like, well, really, how would you meet somebody? I don't know. Yeah. Like, and you can't so, even see half their face anyway, because they're wearing masks. Exactly. It's just, <laughs> it's a weird time. There's not social gatherings and everything. And so to me, I look at it and I'm like, okay, like we met online. Yes. Like we met on a dating app, but like, that's where 
that's where it stops. Like there's nothing different about our relationship. It's not like we get on hinge at night and talk to each other, you know, right. like we're, we met, we got off the apps, we deleted them. We went on dates. We did everything like a normal couple would. It's just, we met in a different space. And right. so that's where I don't understand why people get these stigmas. So one thing I will say though, that's important that you and your wife probably did was like, we didn't keep it on the app. It wasn't like we lived in this hinge right. world over here. It was like, he asked me out on a date. And a few days later, we both were like, you know what? Like we want to try this out. So we're going to delete the app. I'm not going to keep hinge in my back pocket for like the next person that might come along that might be more interesting. Cause if you're going to be looking for the next person, that's more interesting. You're always going to find that. Like you right. always, will it's never ending options it's designed that way and so at some point you need to make a, a choice and then you need to keep making that choice every single day so that's the only thing that I would say about the dating apps it's a little tricky is that you can just keep scrolling swiping and conversating with people but at some point you need to make a decision about right. somebody yeah it was like two days I think maybe even the day the day or two after we met whenever we realized that it was going to go somewhere we both deleted it yeah the, the only time that we ever downloaded it again was so that we could go back and kind of reminisce on our first messages I together know, and ours were gone and I was <laughs> so upset I it was funny because I downloaded it and this girl I worked with this girl I worked with was like Cole you know that you're showing up as active on tinder right and I was like yes I know because she knew that I was dating Emily and she was like I just didn't want you to, I didn't want to think you were dating so I was like no we got on so we could read our messages like that's all, all it was I promise but yeah we got back on just to see like I think our first conversation was about Starbucks coffee I think I had like a free a free Starbucks drink and I was like hey should I should I get a grande or a venti something really stupid it was like that was, our first conversation was about You're coffee smooth. and that's how I that's knew <laughs> So that's how I knew it was going to work. Yeah. Then we ended up talking on the phone for like five hours that night. Then we FaceTimed for like five hours the next night. And then the next okay, day. Okay. So like you as a writer though, do you feel like maybe it was a bit to your advantage? Cause I was like, mm, if I can get you on the screen and I can like. A little bit. Yeah. I, I just feel like I have a conversational style in my writing that I was like, I can use this to my advantage. Yeah. I think, I think that probably helped a little bit. Cause I definitely am very conversational when I write and then I'm very, uh, I feel like, you know, my, even if I'm meeting a stranger, my conversations are, are relatively natural. And so I feel like, yeah, that maybe helped a little bit, but it was so nice because the, like that I, we met on a Monday, Wednesday of that week, I had not actually met Emily in person yet. And I uh -huh. went to lunch with my stepmom and I said, I found the person that I'm going to marry. And she was like, oh. wow. And so we're married. We're all coming up on three years here in December. So it worked out. Congratulations. See, Lane was very skeptical about online dating, did not like it at all. And I was like, you're going to date me. Like, we're going <laughs> to date. And then after the first date, he was like, I'm going to marry her. And I tried to like ghost him by the second date. So I, I get into all that income matter here. But um, yeah. now we're married. Coming up on four years. Coming up on four years and you got a child. So I think it worked out all right. Yeah, we got baby. <laughs> So you have a new book coming out in early 2021. It's called Fighting mm -hmm. Forward, Your Nitty Gritty Guide to Beating the Lies That Would Hold You Back. And I think we talked about a lot of those lies so far today that I yeah. assume are in the book. But um, And you've written about this too, the lies that we believe and all that kind of stuff. But walk me through, what was the idea for this book? And what are you hoping that, that people will get out of it? So it might be too early to say this, but in my mind, it's true. So I'm just going to say it, that I always feel like the idea for my next book is hiding in the book before. Um, so in Come Matter Here, there is a chapter about fight songs and specifically that I would write these fight songs for my like one day non-existent daughter. And so even when I had the idea for this book, Novi did not exist. Like it was just... I kept thinking, what would I tell a daughter? Because yeah. I thought that that would push me to a deeper level than trying to like write out to the void. Um, but yeah, it was kind of like me and my editor's like decision to say, okay, like let's take this idea and this premise of fight songs, meaning they'd be power packed, but they wouldn't be too long. Like they're not long chapters. Um, and then let's merge it with this idea of like moving forward and establishing like disciplines and all of these things that like of getting out there and just making things happen and kind of merge those two together. And that's what fighting forward is. And so especially what you were talking about earlier about like that chapter on fear, it's like, okay, if I had an entire book to talk about the ways that fear tries to hold us back 
from what we're really meant to go out there and do and emphasis on the word do because we are living in such a spectator society that it's like no 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 no, no. like this life is for doing it's also for being but if you don't get up and do something like your life will stay just as it is and so I was able to take that from every angle of like okay if I want somebody to run their race how do I prepare them to run this race well and so like even the setup of the book is like there's a get ready and a get set and a go part and then there's the roadblocks and the plateaus and the cheerleaders and the finish lines and it's all these different um elements of a race yeah i love that i love that idea when does it come out is it january february january 5th january 5th all right so coming yeah year's book yeah i'm excited for it so yeah i mean then like I guess kind of going back to just this idea of fear. I mean, cause like you talk about how that can be something that we just really hold tightly to. I mean, is, that, is there a lot in this book that talks about that? Cause you mentioned how like you, you could that chapter of fear in your book. I wish I, I don't want to read word for word cause it's such a good chapter, but uh, a good part of the book. But so do you expand on fear in this book too? Like a lot? A ton, okay. a ton, because it, I think that like fear comes up at every juncture of the journey, but it comes up in a different shape or form. And so I tried to, with every chapter, even though I don't explicitly say it, I tried to think about like, okay, what would the lie be that I believe about this thing? And let me speak to the truth of it, you know? And so, yeah, there's fear in, I think every single chapter of like, what could be the thing that's holding you back? Because that's all that I want for my readers is I want them to fight forward into all that life has for them and like you and I both know it like it's so easy to like trip yourself up or just to say I want to do this thing and then six months later you're still standing in the same place and so at some point like we got to move we got to leave these things behind and we got to move forward into new territory yeah I love that I love get real passionate about it yeah so my (laughs) wife and I we got to go to Atlanta last year for a quick little weekend trip and we, we went to Brother Bodo Coffee Shop, which I think is where you've done a lot of your writing, because we were there, and she was like, "This is where Hannah Brinchard wrote a lot of her books, or a lot of her Come Out of Here book." And I was like, "Oh, really?" So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, what are your what are your favorite parts of living in Atlanta? Because I know you moved from the Northeast, but what are, what are your favorite parts of being down in the South now? Oh, I mean, it's so completely different. Um, so yeah, like little things like that. Like um, a good friend of mine started Brother Moto, and so it's like I was there from the very beginning of when it was an idea, and then it went. It was in another space, and then it moved into like this massive coffee shop. And so, I think when I moved to Atlanta, it was really cool to be in a community of like movers and shakers that were doing great things for the city. And I still like love that about Atlanta. That's why it's like I want to. I want to be in a city and like raise my little girl in a city to be able to see all the culture that comes with a city, all the different restaurants, all the different tastes and feels. Um, But yeah, like the South is so completely different from the North in a lot of ways. We're actually taking a road trip up to Connecticut next week because I was like, my husband needs to experience like New England fall. Um, And so gosh, there's so much that I love about Atlanta, but it's so funny because I don't think like, if you had told me 10 years ago that like I was going to settle in Atlanta, I probably would have been like, I don't even know what Atlanta is apart from like the catfish capital of the world. Like (laughs) that's all that I know about Atlanta. And so um, to me, it's just like proof of like where I thought that I was going to be like a lifer in New York City, like New York City, just like does not make me feel the way that Atlanta makes me feel like Atlanta is totally like my home. Yeah. We live in Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is like an hour north of Nashville. And so we kind of have oh, a little Bowling bit of the Nashville. Bowling Green. I used to want to go to Bowling Green University. That's actually in Ohio. There's a Bowling Green oh. State University. Western Kentucky University is the one that's in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So there's but two. There's, not, there's two Bowling Greens? There's two Bowling Green. Yeah. Oh so there's gosh. Bowling. I learned that today. <laughs> there's a Bowling Green, Ohio, and then there's a Bowling Green, Kentucky. And so there's Bowling Green State University, which is in Bowling Green, Ohio. And then my wife and I went to Western Kentucky University, which is here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. So it's always oh, interesting I'm when sorry. the two school. No. I don't know if you guys are like, no, we're the other Bowling Green. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we play whenever we played them in sports. It's like weird because it's like Western Kentucky's playing against Bowling Green and people that don't realize that there's a difference are like, wait, what? 
because there's a high school here called Bowling Green High School and it's like people just get so confused. Yeah. People get so confused. But yeah, we uh we love it because we're like an hour north of Nashville. So we get a little bit of the Nashville culture and awesome. Um Nashville, I think Nashville and Atlanta are, are pretty similar in culture. I think not, you know, Atlanta is obviously bigger, but there's uh, a little, you know, similarities between the South. They're both big cities in the South that have a lot yeah, of Yeah, I love culture. Nashville. Yeah, for sure. I was today years old when I figured out that it would take you that short amount of time to get to Nashville, though. Yeah, for us, it's like, yeah, we, we can hop down um, I-65 north or I-65 ahead south and we're there in an hour. So that's wild. Nice. Yeah, it's definitely we, we were actually you mentioned going to the northeast. We were we were wanting to go to Vermont for my fall break this year and it uh-huh. got to be so expensive. So we just got back from Gatlinburg. We went there and it was really nice. We went to the Smoky Mountains. So we were going to go to Vermont or Maine for our anniversary this year. And now we're like, I don't know with COVID, we'll just kind yeah. of figure out what we feel like doing. I'll have to live vicariously through your pictures from your trip to the Northeast. I, though, in the- I grew up going to Vermont and Maine because yeah. I'm from Connecticut. Right. So like, I just am like, I, I think that that's to me, like, God's sense of humor because like I am so I'm so New England at heart like and I love New England and yet I'm like I'm here and Atlanta is my home and I don't know like we might end up back there I'm not really sure but like if you ever thought that you were going to pry me away from like the four seasons you had another thing coming to you but yeah here I am here you are (laughs) So this is the final question I always ask, and I kind of asked a version of this earlier, but so my show is called In No Hurry, and so the, I always like to ask people kind of what they do to slow down in life, and we talked about it a little bit, but I guess aside from, I guess maybe aside from just being a mother, what are what are some of your just like Hannah type rhythms to slow down and kind of relax and recenter your own focus? Mm-hmm. We take a lot of bubble baths over here, um, so that's one of my things. I love a good like just be able to like sit in the bath and like read a book. Honestly, I feel like my favorite thing though, to kind of like slow down is like cooking. I love cooking. I love baking. I love, but like, I love using like a cookbook, you know, where it's like, you don't have to use my phone in order to get the recipe or if I'm going to get it offline, I like to print it out. Um, And that just to me, like, I don't know. I feel like it's such a great privilege of like getting to feed people like healthy things that are going to like feed and like nourish their bodies. And so like, I just get so much joy out of cooking. I love it so much. Um, So I would say that's probably how I unwind. I like to pour a glass of wine and get my recipe and just be in the kitchen and sometimes watch big brother while I do that. I'm a big, big brother person. So that's also a big thing is that I'm like rewatching old seasons. I'm like making Novi watch some with me so that she can go on when she's older and like know everything. Um, but yeah, we are big, big brother people in this house. I also, I, I gotta say, I love that you were such a like nineties hip hop rap, like not even oh, just nineties, but just yeah. rapping. I'm, I'm, I, it's awesome to be like, I grew up not, I wasn't a big rap fan, but I grew up, I liked Tupac. I liked Dr. Dre, oh, Eminem. So much. And it's so hard though. I feel like I have to tiptoe on social media in a way that I didn't have to like five years ago where it's like, oh, you know, like I just, cause it's so me. It's like, you will find me in the backyard, like working out, like with like Tupac blasting and cuss words all over the place. And it's just. Tupac's hit him up song, which is like a cuss word, every other word, you know, just. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I was. Okay. So like my boyfriend in high school was like obsessed with Tupac to to an annoying extent now looking back and I just got into it and I like read all his poetry and like I just thought Tupac was amazing I remember us going to like see the movie on him in the theaters and it's just it's in my bones it's in my blood now yeah I love that I love it I I uh at our wedding reception I, I always have been able to rap I Size Baby which I think every white guy can do that but like I was like got the mic at a reception was rapping it word for word. And everybody was like, Cole, I had no idea you could rap. Like I was like, dude, it's not really so much me rapping. I'm just repeating words that somebody else wrote, but like, yeah, I enjoyed the song. I enjoyed getting into the flow of it. Like that's kind of (laughs) like people don't, whenever I, whenever I busted that out, people were just like, I had no idea you had that in you. I'm like, cause y'all don't see me at home just bumping the music or in my car whenever I'm got some rap going and you know, all that. I I grew up, you know, Lil Wayne was like the big thing when I was in high school. So Grew up free, with that. Free little wheezy. Like yeah, exactly. Me, me and my roommates 
oh my gosh, now I think back in like college, like we had pictures of little Wayne on the wall and stuff. And we like the time that he like went, he went to jail at some point and we yeah. were black for mourning all day. Like <laughs> we were, yeah, it was yeah. a little excessive. Yeah. Yeah. I think, cause you and I are around the same age, I think. Cause that, I, he, that was in college whenever that happened. I, I was in college whenever that happened. Cause I remember that yeah. song came out with Nicki Minaj never she has a line that says free my little wheezy in it and so yeah oh yeah definitely yeah. oh my you ever, gosh you, you ever watch the uh it's like he's he's doing a deposition and they're asking him to like re- remember stuff about like him being arrested he's just like I did not recall that I do not he's, he's just like you keep asking me these same like questions oh, you, you gotta look it up on, on the cough sizzle yeah you gotta you gotta look it up because it's so funny like he just keeps going I did not recall with like his raspy voice and it's oh my like gosh, I'm gonna look that yeah, up and the, the guy gets so irritated with him and he's just like, well, he won't have it. And so it's like classic Lil Wayne. I I, I miss that era of, of rap. That was good oh, stuff. Me too. I love Lil Weezy. <laughs> well, Hannah, this was awesome. This was such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. And I can't wait to uh, read the new book. And yeah. obviously I recommend any writers who listen to this do the summer writing intensive. My mother-in-law is actually going through it right now. And so she she's uh, writing a children's book or she actually has already written the children's book. And so she's going through this to try, kind of learn a lot about writing and publishing and that kind of stuff too. Uh, so yeah, any writers, I recommend it. I went through it, loved it. And uh, I just, I can't wait for the new book. And this was awesome to get to talk to you. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I was so happy to finally have that conversation with Hannah. She's honestly one of my favorite authors and just one of my favorite people. She's just incredibly genuine. If you don't follow her on social media already, make sure that you do. Her Instagram is just so full of great truths about writing and just life in general. And obviously intermixed in there are some pictures of her beautiful young baby girl. And so I definitely recommend giving her a follow. Reach out to her. Let her know that you enjoyed hearing her on this episode as well. Also, be sure to go and pre-order her new book, Fighting Forward, which comes out in January. And I definitely recommend reading her first two books, If You Find This Letter and Come Matter Here, before you get that one. And I'm also a subscriber to Hannah's Monday morning email list called The Monday Club. And it honestly is one of my favorite things that I read each week. It's just so full of truth and inspiration and encouragement and motivation. And honestly, a lot of it was the motivation and the inspiration behind my own email list that I do. So I definitely recommend that you sign up for her email list. There's a link in my show notes to do that. And I'd love for you guys to sign up for my email list as well. I send those out Monday mornings as well. So you can kind of get double the motivation, double the encouragement if you sign up for both of those. But as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode with Hannah. Hope you guys have a great week and find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we will see you next week.